tilled, little pockets well filled. Farmer John's dad, Dauphin, Manitoba. Hello, I'm Tamara Michelle. This is Real Conversations podcast, recorded in the rural municipality of Dauphin, Manitoba, with special guest, Farmer John of Crooked Creek Farms. Today, we revisit his family farm to learn a little bit about soil degradation. We take a look at his fall rye and winter wheat, and I get a lesson on the family tractor called Little Furky. Thank you to our show sponsors. Bankert Marketing, Dr. Brenna and Three Graces Medispa, Real Security Solutions, Roofs Furniture and Appliances of Dauphin, Oil Depot of Dauphin, Try Family Health, Beauty and Fine Gifts of the Paw, Ramsey's Health and Fitness of Dauphin, Cloud9 Canna Supplies of Dauphin, and Hearts to Nature, Fine Art, Nature Photography. We're back here on Real Conversations Podcast. And uh, today I have a special guest, Farmer John. Thanks for joining us today, Farmer John. Um, we're going to be competing with your bird life in your yard. Uh, we've had a whole bunch of seagulls that have been around, well, pretty much the entire day. And right. I see we've got some, I don't know. Magpies. Oh, is that what it is? Magpies. I They're not magpie. ravens, but. No. <laughs> so. We're going to talk about a few things today. Uh, I know uh, we've got some exciting things coming up, including discussions about uh, the water and what's happened with all of the rain and the extra moisture that we've had for this growing season for the farmers. Also, I understand you're going to let me do a, uh, take one of your tractors for a spin. So I'm kind of excited about that. So we'll leave that surprise kind of for later. But first, we're just going to go to a quick... Just a quick video here uh, about some of the beautiful, you call them marsh marigolds. Yeah, they're um, first sign of spring. They're usually, usually when you see them, you're going to the field to seed generally a lot of years. This year we're not, but they come up really quick in the spring and they're um, after the crocuses, but they're um, one of the early flowers to get blooming and they always look so pretty. So. Okay, so uh, we went to take a look at a few things. We went to see your, uh, it is your fall rye, your winter wheat, and we also went to take a look at some of the soil degradation that has happened as a result of the water runoff from all the moisture that we've had. Um, did you want to speak to that a little bit about, you know, some of the things that you do to prevent your field when you have really wet seasons from draining onto, into the ditches, basically? Right. Well, by leaving a buffer strip or a headland of grass, probably 15 to anywhere from 15 to 30 feet, and then I mow it, 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 it's like a filter around the edge of your fields. And the water, when it, in a year like this where we have a lot of snow and, and excessive rains in the spring, the water rushes off the field too fast. And when, it, um, when, when you're farming right to the very edge and over into the ditch, it just can't help it but cut a big gully and make a big, huge hole in your field. And, and then that's very difficult. And it puts this great big bar of, of dirt in the ditch that's unreclaimable. And, 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 and you're spraying, when you spray and you fertilize, you're also too close to the ditch and you're possibly causing some some le uh, leaching into the water that's in the ditches, running into the lakes and stuff like that. So by staying back, it's it's more habitat for round nesting birds. Um, it, it, it's a filter so that the, the water doesn't run off too fast off your field. And uh, you can see from the difference along our field, there's no, there are no gullies because it, it, it's, it just can't run. It, it stopped by about 30 feet of sod, and that's, that, that's, um, we've always done it that way. And this year, it really shows up. It's, we've had some drier years, and people have gotten away and haven't had problems. But it really shows up in a year like this when big, big ag is pushing a lot of, generally speaking, too close into the ditches, and, and that's, that's the result of, that's what we're seeing this year. So. 
we're out for a ride uh, in the in the Crooked Creeks uh, uh, in the digs with the wheels today and uh, you're showing me a little bit about soil degradation and we were talking about headlands which is or buffer strips I think you called them yeah. um, now you uh, were saying how that really affects uh, soil erosion uh, and degradation. Can you just talk about that a little bit and we'll give an example here to those watching. Well, as, uh, when, when you farm as close as, as, as this is to the ditch, you, he hangs his sprayer and you can see that the grass is all brown and, and when he fertilizes that, that's awfully close to leaching into this, potentially into this water and running downstream. Whereas when you look, when you get it to my place, I'm about 40 feet back from the 30, 30 feet back and there's a, a grass strip which I'm not spraying, I'm not fertilizing, I'm not right into the ditch. And you're not getting a big bar of dirt like you're seeing here that washed off this field. There's nothing washed off my field. And um, So this, this would be this a perfect is, example, like right here. Field. You'll never be able to get that. That dirt is basically lost. You, uh, from my understanding, when it comes to even algae in the lakes and, you know, the phosphorus and all those things that cause the, the, the algae blooms, mm -hmm. um, that sometimes is caused by fertilizers and soaps and, right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the less we, the less we put in the ditches, the less ends up right. in our rivers and streams and essentially that would be Dolphin Lake for us. Right. right. And so by, and, when you, and also the glyphosate, which is basically the active ingredient in Roundup, which kills everything. So you'll see these big brown dead, like, and there's no, the grass is all killed um, and not some of that. Um, it's just, it just, it's just really battle on the edge of the fields, and it's um, by, but by me, if you'll see, I'm all green around the edges, and we've got like lots of habitat, and it doesn't get sprayed, and we, we keep back, so our fertilizer and chemical is much harder for it to leach. It, it just doesn't get into the. It's not as bad as when you're really close to the ditch. So for sure. So well, and I guess that's a good opportunity to talk a little bit about um, your fall rye, because in the same way. If you have a root system close by the ditches and your, you know, the, the, the grasses, it's gonna it's gonna choke out the weeds, right? Mm -hmm. When you kill that, weeds have an opportunity to go in because they just have fertile soil and there's nothing actually claiming that soil, right? It's just right. debris that's that's basically being um, absorbed back into well mulch, it's being absorbed back into the land. Mm -hmm. So your fall rye, we're gonna take a look at that right now. And and what did you want to say about that? Because I know we saw that about six seven weeks ago, and uh, and now um, we had all this rain, which was not expected, of course, and and now we're in a situation where you've got some land that's basically, if you had um, winter or fall crop on there, uh, seed waiting for the spring, uh, some of it has gone completely. But that's not the case with your winter or your fall rye. No, fall rye is is, is is pretty bulletproof. It, it's uh, it's very tough. It's harsh. If they grow it in Siberia, they grow it in way in extreme conditions. It, it's 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 very tough and and it's wintered through. But I did put it in canola stubble, which is traps a certain amount of snow and that's a good thing and it's um it's just going great guns here now with this heat that we're getting and the moisture we've had it's uh there's no spring crop that's going to be as advanced at that as this year with some years past when the guys get when you get going and you're seeding in in april you can almost get a spring crop as advanced as you would see this rye awfully close but not this year nobody's going to have a it's 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 off the races it's it's canopying it's it's uh it's sheltering out the weeds uh, we're not going to have to spray the field it's it's there's a, there's a whole bunch of win-wins there with that it's a, no no fertilizer we'll put some fertilizer on hopefully if we can get the field dry enough to spread a little bit onto it we're going to put some potash because this land is very this sandy land that i have is is weakened is low in potash and potash is a, is a strong key link in the chain if you will when you're growing something it, 
if one thing is missing on the chain, like it's like a, they say, like links of a chain, and that's that's your whole growing program. If, if this link is missing, uh, and potash is one of them, and you're you're weak, you need to to supplement a little bit of potash to um, to 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 make the, the the chain strong, so that the plant has a everything that needs to, um, and it's good for root development and um, well, lots of just the health of the plant. So uh, and nitrogen, of course, you know, makes it feeds the plant and makes it um, makes it produce more. So. All right. We're going to take a look right now at that kind of the, the before and after. Yeah, you can see the rye here, how it's, um, it, it, it grows sort of sideways like this, so it's going to shield and, and, and canopy over and cover. And there's some little volunteer canola here, and they've already been eaten with flea beetles, but they're going to have a hard time when this gets, it'll, it'll, it'll actually um, shade them and, 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 and naturally just keep them from getting very 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 um, growing very well and the rye just takes off and uh, yeah so nature looks after its own here <laughs> so farmer john we were out here i don't know approximately maybe six or seven weeks ago mm -hmm. uh, taking a look at your fall rye and what a difference this field is uh, made quite the transformation and yet this is such a slow year you were saying yeah but it's just uh it's got moisture and it's now we're getting heat and uh, it's you could like you could almost watch it grow here I think if you sat here you could uh, you'd see it's uh, I mean it's it's leafing out it's starting to um, it's starting to canopy already it's, and there's some little weeds that are thinking about growing here but they're going to get choked out because it's doing it's that's what rye does it it canopies it, it canopies out and grows sideways and, and sh shades and then it it makes it tough for the weeds to grow, so we don't have to spray this field. This field won't see any chemicals. So the weeds are clamoring for sunlight. Yeah, and, and the, the the rye canopies over and grows sideways is what before it grows up. Kind of the leaves go this way, and then it goes up. That, that that's a natural effect. Also, it has an aleopathic effect in the soil too. That uh, somehow it puts something into the dirt that makes other plants kind of hard to grow. Rye has the ability to do. Like an anti-weed? Yes, kind of. It's an aleopathic effect, it's called. It comes out in a, and it puts something into the soil. And, and you can see there's some little weeds here, but they're really struggling. And pretty soon this, they're going to get sh uh, shaded and they won't be able to grow very well. And like I said, well, we, we won't be spraying this field. So. Very neat. Well, I can't wait to take a look at this in another month and see where we're at. And then moving on to your, um, now it is your winter, winter wheat. wheat. Yeah. Uh, we did a drive-by on that field, and um, it was a bit shocking because, uh, what was that saying that you said to me seven or six or seven weeks ago? Yeah, well, just because it's green doesn't mean it's alive, and just because it's brown doesn't mean it's dead. But now you can, at this time of the year, when it's still brown at the end of May, it's, it's probably dead. But you, you shouldn't be quick to rate a crop off too early because it, it can come back from the crown of the plant. Um, but we've given it time now, and you can see that it's just... But there are some bright spots, or rather oases out in that field that are just really nice, where they had an extra amount of snow on them. Yeah. And the winter wheat. And the right drainage, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, at, the, at the ridge there, where you can see by, uh, it's just, yeah, it's really good. It looks like a golf green, actually. Yeah, I, was, I couldn't believe we're at like the rough, not really, because it's too tall to be a green. But there's only about an acre or two. I think I'm going to have to get crop insurance. We're probably going to. They're pro well, they will. They'll write. I can get some help to probably to reseed that. Uh, to reseeding benefit is uh, not much, but it's. A little bit to go towards if the field dries up if we if we get some dryness if if, if moving forward if we keep getting rain and, and it turns cool again gets into june um it's going to be a challenge to get that because the field you could see where i was pushing my heel in there it was just really quite the ground is very saturated it's just right 
so yeah this field is uh just it's, it's mushy here it's mucky and it, 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 it is just total winter kill we'll have to reseed this to, if it dries out enough so this was when we came before seven weeks before this was looking not too bad at the time and now we've had all that rain so you figure it's not just the rain it's actually no, winter it's kill winter kill over it didn't it, it, it didn't it, it didn't have enough snow cover and it um yeah and then we have down here but you will to the south the knoll there's that hill yeah, that we had seen that was green and it is looking just like beautiful. yeah we're gonna go take a look at that up close about an acre there <laughs> so And here's the knoll. So this got a huge snowbank over here, and, and, and that, that's that's the moss. That's, the whole field looked like this. This would be a bumper crop, a huge crop, massive. So this is actually what you would say winter wheat is supposed to look like this when it does exceptionally like, well. Yeah, if, it made if it the, the winter it would look like this, not like that. Okay. <laughs> and and you can this and is, the thickness of it. This is just it looks like it looks like a golf course. It's, rough it's really beautiful that's a shame really and um not, if, it, if it gets too late it may end up just leaving this and harvest these little tiny bits if, if it's still too wet and i can't do anything with this we may have to just leave this and harvest what we can here which won't be much but that's worse that's possible if it, if it gets into june and i can't seed anything else so. and tell me one last thing because you piqued my interest this tree Way in the back here, this gorgeous old oak. Yeah, my grandpa moved there in 19, when he moved here in 1924, they had a house by that oak. There's a, there's a well by that tree and he had a, he had his house up there. They lived there for one winter, one summer, I think, by that oak tree. It's gorgeous. And you say uh, you farm around it, most farmers wouldn't, but I, you do? I work around it and my spray guys, they get after me because they, got, they have a hard time spraying around it, but... You said it's a great place to take a little nap. It's, yeah, it's nice. You can stop the tractor there, and you're in full in the middle of summer. That tree will give you. There'll be shade there in the middle of summer on a hot day. So. so you're saying there are some benefits then to uh, to farming more, I guess, environmentally, right? Yeah, well, that tree has symbolic significance just because my grandpa lived there, and I, you know, it's probably it was probably there when he. Uh, that's an old tree. I don't know how old it would be, but I mean, same with these trees are here. This is an old one here too, but. They gotta be. They gotta be hundred years old. I mean, for sure, I'm for thinking, sure. I don't know, but um, if it could, if the if the tree, if the tree could talk. <laughs> so this is a really, as far as growing season, like in comparison to last year. I mean, you were in the tractor. You said May first, right? Yeah, beginning much. end of April, beginning May. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So this has already set you back by four weeks of growing. Three weeks at least. Yeah. And with the rain, you're still not going to be on some of those fields for or, or the moisture that's still left behind from all the rains that we've had. Right. Um, even if it warms up, what does that look like for your growing season? And when would be the earliest you can take those crops off? Well, everything's going to get seeded a bit later, and crop insurance deadlines are still aren't, aren't passed yet. It's just that your yield potential tends to drop as a little bit later you mm. seed. Um, and a lot of there may be some more canola growing because canola you can seed till the 10th of June. Soybeans now they've, they've moved it to the fourth of uh, the fourth of June is the new deadline to seed to get to get coverage. And but you you always want to be seeding, you know, that that's sort of like a the very best, last and the best case scenario. Even if you seed by then, you have to have prime growing Every, conditions. Everything's got to, yeah. The, Mother Nature's got to got to work with us at the, at the tail end of the season or towards the end of the season, like.
to help that we don't get an early frost or or we could have a, it's going to be a challenging harvest because it's going to make everything a little that much later. So every day or two in the spring is usually uh, three or four days in the fall can even make it worse than that. So like every day late that you seed moves, moves your, your potential harvest date three or four days. So you're, you're down to the end of September, you know, mid-September to late September instead of early end of August to mid-September. So you're just dealing with shorter days, more risk of frost, uh, harder to get the dry down. Uh, there's a lot of things that can affect how this crop. And I know that we talked a little bit about um, the food shortages that they're talking about around the world. I mean, like, whether you watch the news or you don't watch the news, I think people are pretty aware that there's, you know, you go to the grocery stores, things are not what they were even with COVID and, mm-hmm. and all the shutdowns and, you know, uh, just with all the criteria of having to work six feet apart, like it does affect every range of, of food production to um, mechanical, like anything that you produce, you know, uh, it's being affected. How do you see, like in your opinion, how do you see uh, what's happening here? How far does that ripple? Well, we're we're going to try and, and grow what we can here to um, to keep things going. I think there'll be a fair bit of wheat going the ground this year um, uh, because of the, there's going to be some problems with wheat coming out of that Black Sea, out of that Ukraine region there. So, uh, um, and, and canola is going to sunflower oil is going to be short because of Ukrainian shipments, and uh, some of the ports are damaged over there. So we're we're going to have to we need to kind of step up, and we need to be growing as much as hopefully as much as we can on every acre ideally to, to try and, and keep things um, um, the equilibrium around the, you know the Pick, like picking up the slack sort of yeah right, to, for try, and, to try, and, try and mitigate the losses over there we'll try to and, you know and the United States is pushing a big crop there's they're having some delays too in seeding but they're I think they're gonna you're gonna see a lot of corner to corner like they're not gonna be if, if they concede they're gonna there's an incentive it's gonna be an ex- the most expensive crop I've ever put in like that's what everybody's saying it's gonna mm-hmm. be your input costs are just fuel fertilizer inputs mm-hmm. uh, labor everything we buy to put and machinery parts rubber tires whatever you buy for your machinery it's, yeah, it's gone high so mm-hmm. our costs are, are we need we need a, um, these prices to stay or there's just going to be no margin left to, to pay the bills because um, because mm-hmm. our input costs are just so high this year historically astronomically higher than anybody's ever experienced this is so. almost going back to like <laughs> like I mean we know that about the dirty 30s and we know about like there was a, there was a time right like 1930s right, right. Um, and and that did really affect uh, everything right so when it comes to food production and stuff if we can't keep the costs down for the farmers so um, so yeah I guess that's what I'm just gonna throw that in there you know just everyone who's listening or watching um, keep in mind that when you vote for your politicians and you vote politically you know think about these things because if we have a leadership in our country that is not supporting our farmers and our food producers we're going to be in really big trouble so I'll just leave that (laughs) on the sidebar Um, so John we are going to now go and take a look at uh, at this tractor that uh, you said is a family heirloom basically yeah it's been here all its life I guess so uh, my grandpa bought it new and um, he used it like a little he used it like a car he uh, there's pictures of him and I think I sh- showed you on the fender there where his elbow rested in his hand you can see the uh, he's worn the paint right down to the, the primer right down to the bare metal so I, I don't want to repaint the tractor just because it has symbolic significance of the uh, it's the energy of him pretty cool that, uh, yeah. when you put your hand there you can just feel you mm-hmm. can feel he was that's the way he used to drive it and uh, he, he really liked that little Fergie of his he uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> that was his his favorite little little tractor. So that's neat. And it's done a lot of it still clears snow. I use it all winter to clear snow out of the yard. It has a front end loader. We do a little loader work with it. it and, very and what versatile. year again? 1956. So, yeah, that's a... So, so Farmer John and I have one last piece today, and that is regarding a very special tractor. Um, can you give me some history on this, John? Yes, uh, my grandfather bought this tractor new in uh, uh, April of 1956. He paid uh, $2,370 for this tractor, and it's been on the farm here ever since. It's never left. It's got over 10,000 hours. Now, I know I was saying to you, it's interesting that it's in hours, not in miles or kilometers. Yeah, that's what tractors generally record in hours because you don't, you, you don't put them out. You go by the amount of time it's running. So okay. it's an hour thing. But if, if you had this on a highway machine and you were driving, say, 40 or 50 miles an hour, that's the equivalent of about 500,000 miles. Oh, so that's like half a million. Half a million miles at 50 miles an hour average. So... Sometimes you'd be going faster than that, sometimes slower, but so it's 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 been it's been well driven. The seat's been recovered, but this all original tin and the metal's all original. It's never been repainted. And it's uh it's we use it in the winter to plow snow and I have a snow blower for it and has a front end loader that fits on here. These cylinders will have a loader. Uh it's a very handy little tractor. So we've got a little uh space on the side here where my grandfather if you see pictures of my grandpa he uh, he always rode like this and the, and the paint has worn off where his thumb was here his hand and his elbow and I for that reason I don't want to repaint it because it's uh, he's worn it right down below the primer and you can see the this is where he his his imprint here so it's very uh, sentimental when hey? you said like this i think about grandpa he had the same name as me and uh, yeah so he uh, he just he used this tractor he used to take it to town it was like he didn't have a he didn't have a car he used this like a little car so it was his little baby and he uh, he just he, he was so much here he just wore the paint off <laughs> and this is um and this is also i'm just gonna kind of scroll up here this is a ferguson you said yeah affectionately we refer to it as a fergie uh, and generally speaking, they, they call these Fergies. And again, what year was this 1956. made? 1956. That's incredible. They're so beautiful. Let's do a little... We have a pair of headlights for them. They're kind of cool. They fit on the side, but they have to come off so we can run the front end loader. I have them in the shed here, but they're like an old style, like a big bulb, like a car, like the old cars. And they would actually fit on those little holes in the side there, and you'd have two headlights on it. So, so beautiful. And you said you're going to give me a quick lesson and uh, let me have a ride on this, or uh, yeah, or do you do a little drive around? If you want to drive, yeah. It's, um, every, we all learned to drive in this tractor. I did. My sisters, most of my sisters did. This was our first um, father let us drive on. So, Aww. so it's uh, it's taught a lot of kids how to drive. <laughs> all right. Well, hopefully I'm a quick learner. Here we go. So, Farmer John, you're going to give me some instructions on how to drive this thing? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, you got to put your foot in the clutch. Okay. And you're going to find a gear, your um, first, second, third, try second or third, whichever gear you want there. Okay, so this is... That's first. Up down? That's really creeper gear, yeah. That's, that's creeper gear? That's creeper. Then over and, and over and up is second and second okay. and then third. And third. Third. I think you're in second or okay. third. Okay. So, and then this is the throttle? And your throttle is right here. Okay. Pull it and, down. And these are brakes? And if you need to put your, the speed you're going, you should be okay, I think. Okay. So. Okay. All right. So I will try creeper gear here to start. Yeah, just right? to show how slow it goes. It's right. pretty slow. Here we go. You're officially winning the slow tractor race. <laughs> 
Dr. Brenna and Three Graces Medispa has been inspiring love, confidence, and health and humanity since 2019. Dr. Brenna's skin therapists have the advanced knowledge required to revitalize and rejuvenate your skin. Radiofrequency, microneedles, chemical peels, and oxygen neo superfacials are just a couple of the treatments we offer. To learn more about Dr. Brenna and Three Graces Medispa, visit our website at threegraces.ca or call us at 204-572-5774 for a free consultation. A special thank you to Bankert Marketing for audio and video syncing. Thank you to our show sponsors, Bankert Marketing, Dr. Brenna and Three Graces Medispa, Real Security Solutions, Roofs Furniture and Appliances of Dauphin, Oil Depot of Dauphin, Try Family Health, Beauty and Fine Gifts of the Paw, Ramsey's Health and Fitness of Dauphin, Cloud9 Canna Supplies of Dauphin, and Hearts to Nature, Fine Art Nature Photography. Like and subscribe on YouTube at Tamara Michelle. See you next week.